you have to fly into crappy airports to get to walk out on the tarmac. <laughs> yeah. If you ended up on the tarmac, you're in a really, really crummy airport. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. And I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. From their beginnings as a group of aircraft enthusiasts in the Rio Grande Valley pooling their money to purchase a surplus World War II fighter, the Commemorate Air Force has grown into a nationwide organization dedicated to the restoration and preservation of history's greatest warbirds. Today we look at the history of this great organization and its impact on the Lone Star State. But first, what's your favorite festival in Texas? Well, obviously I'm going to have to go with the Great Texas Mosquito Festival in Clute, Texas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, I like the idea of the Potato Fest. That's in Pearsall, Texas, and that's where they grow lots and lots of potatoes. Potatoes in Texas, you wouldn't think of it. Well, my favorite festival is here in our area, and it's in Richardson, Texas. It's the Wildfire Festival, and it's a music festival, uh, and if it's, it's the home of uh, aging rock stars and bands that only have one original member in them and the rest are some scrubs so like if you want to see ario speedwagon or boston or uh, uh smash mouth then that's the place to go because it's free it's sad that south you put smash mouth in the same <laughs> sentence with classic rock i was gonna make some ario speedwagon jokes but then you mentioned smash mouth so i'm like wow this and the show has reached a new low that's the wildfire festival thanks a lot richardson Texas has a long and rich aviation history that dates back to the earliest days of flight. Airfields in Texas were critical to the training of the American airmen in both world wars. A number of key aircraft manufacturers have built planes in Texas, and Texas has several of the country's largest airports and military air bases. Now, what most people don't know is that Texas is also home to one of the very first organizations dedicated to preserving and restoring historical aircraft and honoring the men and women who served in and with those planes— and bringing flying examples of this living history to people everywhere. This organization is known as the Commemorative Air Force, and it started out way back in 1957. The Commemorative Air Force owes its origins to a small group of World War II veterans who lived near the Rio Grande Valley town of Mercedes. Lloyd Nolan is generally the one who is considered to have gotten the ball rolling. He got his pilot's license before the war and hoped to fly fighters for the Army Air Force, but his vision disqualified him from combat service. He ended up serving as a civilian instructor to pilot cadets. After the war, he continued flying, founding a successful crop dusting company. That desire to fly the big, fast fighters never left him, though. In 1951, he purchased a surplus P-40 Warhawk, the same type used by the Flying Tigers, for a few hundred dollars. The United States had built over 300,000 aircraft during the war, more than all the other combatants combined. With the war over, though, there was very little perceived need for this arsenal since the military was planning on rapidly scaling down. Surplus aircraft were sold for pennies on the dollar, mostly for scrap to reclaim valuable metal, or they were just left to rot in junkyards. A P-40, which cost $44,000 to build in 1944, could be bought for three dollars to $500 in 1950. The P-40, though, wasn't the fast and powerful aircraft that Nolan had always dreamed of flying. He sold it in order to buy a P-51 Mustang, the greatest American fighter of the war. Unfortunately, before he could purchase one, the Air Force recalled all civilian-owned P-51s to provide ground support in the Korean War. By this time, Nolan had a group of a few fellow veterans who had a similar desire to once again fly the Great Warbirds. In 1957, they finally bought a P-51 Mustang for around $2,500. 
They set up their base at the small airfield at Mercedes, and as a joke, someone painted the words Confederate Air Force onto the tail of the red-nosed Mustang, and the joke stuck. They named the airfield Rebel Field, and all the founders took to calling themselves Colonel, and adopted the slogan Simper Mint Julep, and they wore rebel gray Stetson hats. They next added two Grumman F-8F Bearcats, late war naval fighters, and dubbed themselves the Ghost Squadron traveling around Texas and the United States to participate in Memorial Day and Fourth of July celebrations, and also in some of the earliest air shows. By 1960, as they searched for new aircraft to add to the squadron, they became aware that these thousands of great aircraft that had won the war were quickly disappearing into the scrapyards of the world. The colonels became concerned that it was important to preserve these aircraft more than just to preserve aviation and racing enthusiasts with fancy toys or to provide businesses with cheap commercial planes but to really preserve important pieces of history, the way they would have appeared in the most monumental war. The members of the CAF decided that if nobody else cared about preserving the history, then they would take on the job. In 1961, they chartered themselves as a nonprofit Texas corporation with the stated intention to preserve in flyable condition at least one example of every type of American World War II warplane. They retained their flippant and tongue-in-cheek attitude about the organization itself, though, listing their commander-in-chief as Colonel Jethro E. Culpepper and adorning their flight jackets with patches similar to those used by the Flying Tigers in China. These said, This is a CAF aviator. If found lost or unconscious, please hide him from Yankees, revive with mint julep, and assist him in returning to friendly territory, Confederate Air Force. But about their mission and once in the cockpit, they were deadly serious. Under Nolan's leadership and through the efforts of procurement officer and chief check pilot Marvin Lefty Gardner, They had over 100 members, and they'd increase the squadron to include almost all the major American fighter planes of the war. The original P-51 and one of the Bearcats, a P-38 Lightning, a Vought Corsair, another P-40 Warhawk, a Grumman Wildcat and another Bearcat, and a a P-57 Mustang and a P-63 King Cobra. Early on, the Confederate Air Force worked as a series of partnerships. Two, three, or four men would get together and buy a plane, which was generally located by Gardner, and then they would lease it to the group. The organization itself would assist with maintenance and reconditioning costs, and proceeds would come into the organization through memberships, appearance fees collected at air shows, including their own, which began in 1963, and after 1965 from admission fees charged at the CAF Museum located at Rebel Field. They also performed some more unusual deals to acquire aircraft. In 1967, they expanded their collection with some international models, by doing all the flying for the film The Battle of Britain in exchange for two British Spitfires and three German BF-109 fighters. They did the same in the 1970 Pearl Harbor epic Tora 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 to get some replica Japanese Zero fighters. Mock dogfights and reenactments became a major staple of the CAF airshow experience. Those are great movies, too. Fantastic. In 1968, the organization had outgrown their space in Mercedes and moved their headquarters and museum to the old Aerial Gunnery School facility in Harlingen, Texas. During this time, and through the 1970s, they branched out from American fighters to bombers, transports, and trainers from various nationalities, especially as third-world countries that had picked up World War II surplus began transitioning to more modern fleets. In 1971, they added what was, in many ways, the prize of the collection, the last flying B-29, the same type that dropped the atomic bomb and ended World War II. In the 1970s and 80s, the organization grew by leaps and bounds. Throughout the country, individuals and groups of people with their own flying warbirds or restoration projects founded wings, squadrons, and detachments affiliated with and often supported by the Confederate Air Force. 
but otherwise independent. In 1983, the American Air Power Heritage Foundation was incorporated in order to handle the fundraising and financial support for the CAF. In 1989, Texas Governor Bill Clements signed a resolution that named the CAF the official Air Force of Texas. Presumably, that was to match the battleship Texas, which was, of course, the flagship of the Texas Navy. 1990 brought important changes to the CAF. Realizing that the coastal climate of the valley was just too humid and too far away for regular tourist traffic, they decided to move to Midland in West Texas. This new museum, the American Air Power Heritage Museum, was built at Midland Odessa International Airport, the site of yet another former Air Corps training facility, to display the aircraft and exhibits relating to World War II. All of the key aircraft were moved to this new museum, where it was completed in 1991, and the annual Air Show, which was by this time the largest warboard show in the world, and that moved there too. By 2002, the organization was one of the most important aviation preservation entities in the world, but the sardonic joke that their original name represented had long since become a liability. While some people said that changing the name would bow too much to political correctness, it was undeniable that it had become detrimental to fundraising purposes since the word confederate was offensive to many people. In keeping with the spirit of the organization's mission, they changed their name to the Commemorative Air Force. Along with keeping the initials the same, though, many of the traditions, such as life members calling themselves colonels, remained. And their mission, as always, remains the same. Today, the CAF has over 10,000 members around the globe and operates over 170 aircraft. There are 70 wings and detachments in 27 states, as well as four other countries. Many of the members serve actively as pilots or maintenance crews, but membership is open to anyone over the age of 18, as well as to youths over the age of 12 who can serve as cadet members. If you've got an extra $2,400 lying around, Mike or Scott, you too can become a life member, and you too could call yourself Colonel. I can call myself Colonel anyway. <laughs> colonel. I don't, I don't need a piece of paper to tell me that I'm a Colonel. But it also comes colonel. with a nifty patch you can put on your jacket. Oh. Yeah, hey, yeah. what about that? And some wings. Anyway, um, the current headquarters is in Midland, but last year, the organization narrowly voted to move its headquarters to a larger metropolitan area. The front runners right now are the Collin County Regional Airport, just up the road from us in McKinney, the Alliance Airport out in Fort Worth, Ellington Field in Houston, and Lackland Kelly Air Force Base, uh, or airport rather, as well as airport, some airports in Kansas and in Nashville. There's a lot of politics involved, of course, but that's because there's state and local money that went into and keeps going into the Midland location. So we'll just have to see how that plays out. Well, I do, wanna, I do not want to see the official Air Force of Texas Anywhere but in Texas. Yeah, if they move to Kansas, they're going to have to revoke that. Yeah, they, yeah. they better. Adios, muchachos. <laughs> now, let's take a few moments to talk about some of the significant aircraft and CAF flights and wings that are located in Texas. Texas has 21 wings, squadrons, and detachments, the most in the CAF, which seems appropriate since it started here. Obviously, the most famous in the CAF is the B-29-B-24 flight, which is currently based in Addison, Texas. The B-29 bomber named Fifi, is the only flying B-29 in existence. The B-24 Liberator bomber, which that type was the most produced American aircraft during World War II, and actually in American history, is one of only a dozen preserved in the world, and one of only two that can fly. So both of these aircraft were formerly based initially down in Harlingen, and then later in Midland, but they moved to the Cavanaugh Flight Museum in Addison in 2008. And Addison is a, is a suburb of Dallas, north suburb of Dallas. The Cavanaugh 
um, is a real nice aviation museum that's there. It's at the municipal airport. And they pledged to re-engine the B-29 and to provide a permanent base for both of these aircraft. Uh, these aircraft are probably the most in-demand air show warbird attractions in the world. And they spend about six months while not on tour in the museum. And I've seen both of them flying around. And I think a couple of weeks ago, Mike and I, I saw the B-29 coming in for a landing over there. And I called, I texted you guys and Mike said, I saw it too. That was one of the big thrills of my life because my grandfather trained on one of those and he was training on it right when the war ended. So I've always wanted to see that B-29. The Lone Star Flight Museum is affiliated with the CAF and it's located on the south end of Galveston near Moody Gardens and the airport. Its collection consists of over 40 mostly flyable aircraft ranging from World War II fighters and bombers to Vietnam-era jets, as well as a number of aircraft going through the restoration process. Um, And those are on a visible and interactive display within the museum. Unfortunately, in 2008, the facility was very badly damaged by Hurricane Ike, which had hit Galveston pretty hard as a whole. Many of the non-flying aircraft were unable were unable to be flown out of the path of the museum, and were damaged in some and in some cases destroyed. Uh, this included two jets on loan from the United States Air Force Museum. Since then, the owners of the collection have decided to move to Ellington Field, which is uh, just south of Houston, where it will join the Vietnam War flight owned by the Collier Collection and the Texas Flying Legends Collection, another small collection of warbirds, all sharing a single facility set to open within the next few years. There are a number of excellent air shows in Texas where aviation enthusiasts of all ages can see classic warbirds and even the most modern jets and helicopters. Many of these shows host the Blue Angels and the Air Force Thunderbirds, but the big show is in Midland in October, the Commemorative Air Force Air Show, which functions as a reunion for members of the CAF and where over 80 classic warbirds, many of them longtime Ghost Squadron favorites, can be seen. These warbirds are the last flying examples of their types, and it's at air show where they get their biggest starring roles. Planes are cool. I, I love I love this story. I, I've always been fascinated with the, the Confederate Air Force when, when I was a kid, probably in third grade. They had a 4th of July parade in the little town we lived in, and they, they came through um, with a uh, on a trailer with a, with a World War II dive bomber and this trailer, and they were raising money to restore it. And it was like, I was fascinated by that. And it... it it was always a dream of my grandfather and I, who, like I said, served during the war in the Air Force, to go down to Harlingen. It's you know when it was back when, when it was down there, and then when it moved to Midland, to go to Midland, to go to this museum. We never got that chance to do it, uh, but we did go to the Kavanaugh Flight Museum, and I just, I just love, I love the, I love the idea of the Confederate Air Force. Yeah, well, I, I remember in college, your preferred bathroom reader was a giant coffee table book. <laughs> it was like a three inch thick. Still is. Book. So, well, you don't. Sean is plain crazy. Hey, yes. And ah, I, mean, uh, I see what you did. No, there. but I mean it's really a term people say that oh, yeah. for airplane nuts. But you know, when I talk to people about the show, I say, well, you know, we all have specialties, but Sean's really the history guy. You know, he was the guy who had all the Jane's War manuals and yeah. he had all the plane manuals and he had all the pieces. And I you know, I love aircraft and, and I love all the you know, it's really cool stuff, but you know, you just have a deep passion for this. Yeah, I'm I'm a sucker for an air show too. I did find it a little interesting that they decided to move to Midland of all places. <laughs> and I do find it a little insulting that it's the Midland International Airport. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they don't have any control over that. But the, the interesting thing is that, you know, when you get to reading about it, is Texas had such an integral part in World War II. Not only were most pilots trained there, 
almost all the aircraft came through there. There's hundreds of Air Corps bases throughout Texas, not counting even the Navy and Marine Corps bases that were here that were training bases. And so there's lots of facilities that were equipped to handle these airplanes. So there's lots of places where there can be air shows uh, and and all those kind of things. The other thing is that a lot of aircraft were built in Texas. A lot of the Mustangs and the and the uh, and the the P, the B twenty fours and the the Corsairs, which is from Black Sheep Squadron, those were built in in the Dallas area. So there's a deep history in Texas, and the Confederate Air Force and the Commemorative Air Force celebrates that and honors that and observes that, and that's why it's so distressing for us to think about that they may leave Texas. Well, let's keep those planes flying, boys, from the good people at Patriot Cigarettes. Yeah. Let's well, show that, Mr. Hitler, what for. But if they do end up moving out of Texas, we'll always know that it started here. It started and it'll be here. one more thing that Texas produced and yeah. gave to the world. Yeah. Well, do you think, though, I mean, you know, we were looking at all the, the aviation history of Texas. I mean, what I found really interesting is that other than inventing the airplane, there have just been... a an amazing number of firsts here in yeah. Texas for flight, right. both yeah. in terms of commercial and military aircraft. Mm-hmm. I, Texas has a rich aviation history, and that's what we're really celebrating. And the Commemorative Air Force is deep, deeply involved in celebrating that. The The thing is, is Air Force, but yeah, what is really whatever. important about the about them is that they're keeping the knowledge of these aircraft alive so yeah. that as they get older, the people who, well, obviously the dyes to build parts and stuff are going, have disappeared. And a lot of these designs to build these designs dies. And then even the knowledge of how to build them and how to put, construct these aircraft are dying away. So by, by preserving that, that's a big part of keeping the history alive. We all work in technology to some degree and there's so much, you know, we all have kid, little kids and, you know, I look at it now and I look at these planes that were the pinnacle of aviation, the highest and best combat aircraft in the world. And it's such a long distance time-wise from where we are to that. And I look at where our kids are starting today and where they're going to go. Will they still feel the awe when they see these old airplanes, when they see these old fighters? And I think the secret to that is not seeing them in a museum in a static sense. But seeing them living and yeah. feeling... See them, the, see them flying by. Right. See them or, or be on the, the runway when when they, when they they're taxiing in or leaving and, and like feeling the power of these humongous yeah. massive piston engines. You you just can't understand what it's like to have felt that yeah. unless you see it. And, and they have to be yeah, I mean, living machines. So much our kids today, their experience with aviation is they go inside a building that looks like a shopping mall and they walk down a hallway and they get in a big metal tube. And then when they get to where they're going, they get out of that and they never actually and are out there. And, well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, they're, they're, they're never out there on the runway on the tarmac right. with the, the engines. You running. have to fly into crappy airports to get to walk out on the tarmac. <laughs> yeah. If you ended up on the tarmac, you're in a really, really crummy airport. Unless you're at an air show. Unless you're at an air show. Okay. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. Be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. You can also find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. 
I'm Max Sean with two bands. And I'm Scotticus. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas, Texas wants you anyway. anyway.